0: With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select Campus miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love.
1: This is Hardwood Handicappers, VEASAN's premier NBA betting podcast. Here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. What's up, folks? Welcome in. It is Hardwood Handicappers here on Tuesday, February 13th, the day before Valentine's Day. A reminder for all you folks out there, if you have somebody you love, make sure you get a gift for tomorrow. That's it. That's all. Uh, all right, so it's just me today, so that's why you get the disjointed and odd humor at the top of the show. Kelly and Zach will be along a little bit later in the week. As we get closer and closer to All Star Break, which is uh, for me a very fun time, it's a really good time to reset and get a hold of things. Um, This is the time of year, especially like post Super Bowl week, where I I personally feel um, like things start to get a little out of hand. Like there's so much stuff going on because my attention gets diverted elsewhere, and I feel like almost kind of catching up here in the last few days before the All Star Break. So be good to kind of get your bearings, get everything set, see where you're at, and then of course. Load up for what is going to be an awesome home stretch this NBA season. So, very much looking forward to it. But we still have two, about two or three days of games left to go. So, we will continue to persevere when it comes to those games and analysts' analysis for those games Um, coming up here in a little bit. But before we get to that, um, we had a lot, to, had a lot go on in the last 12 hours or so. So we got to talk a little bit about last night and this morning in the NBA because we had quite a bit go down. And I wanted to start with last night because, boy, oh, boy, what a performance yesterday for Victor Wembanyama against the Toronto Raptors. 24 points, 14 rebounds, 10 blocks, 5 assists, and 2 steals. So, yes, a triple-double. Wembanyama, the first rookie with a 10 block triple double since the spurs number 1 pick david robinson in 1990 uh, when the robinson of course had his game he had 27 points on 65% shooting had 15 rebounds 11 blocks 3 assists 2 steals in 35 minutes crazy part about it for wembanyama is that he did it in 29 minutes yeah for the it was it was a nutty performance uh, and a lot of it's funny because there's a lot of instances where you watch toronto kind of go back up for second chance opportunities against them and you wonder like man like are you really serious? Like he's still got position, and he's still going to do it. Like he racked up a couple of those blocks and some flurries, but uh, n- nothing to take away from what was an awesome performance for Victor Wembanyama. And so, of course, yesterday you you saw a lot of discourse around this, and I think first and foremost we have to talk about the rookie the uh, the rookie of the year award because that is the award that he is, of course, uh, the odds on favor for, and he is a big odds on favorite. He is now minus five hundred Victor Wembanyama over at DraftKings to win rookie of the year. Chet Holmgren is second behind him in the odds at four to one. Brandon Miller at one hundred and fifty to one. Scoot Henderson and Jaime Haquez Jr. at five hundred to one. Still think my Sr. Thompson has a shot, huh? Still, still alive. Still alive. Good number at fifty to one. I know eighty to one. Excuse me. Um, it's still alive, baby. I tell you. So last night was massive, but I think the question immediately you ask is, okay, is the gap between Wemba Nyama and Holmgren this big? Uh, the implied probability of their respective prices would be eighty three point three percent for Victor Wemba Nyama, twenty percent for chet hongren that seems like a gap that is this that is not as wide in real life but i you know the liability is, is often reflected in these future odds and when you look at it i wanted to do a deep dive statistically on both of these guys and what you look at uh for another award that, that women yama might have thrust himself into contention too but if you look at the head-to-head statistics for the two Wemba yama wins the counting stats by a pretty wide margin uh, he's averaging 20.4 points per game compared to 16.8 for Chet, 10.1 rebounds per game to 7.5 for Chet, 3.2 assists per game to 2.7 for Chet, 1.1 steals per game to 0.7 for Chet, and finally 3.2 blocks per game to 2.6 for Chet. So the counting stats very easily go in favor of Victor Wemanyama. However, Chet does have some pretty good quivers, I would say, um, in his, or excuse be pretty good arrows in his quiver, right? Um, that, was, that was nerdy, but you get what I'm saying. He's shooting at a more efficient clip from the floor, both uh, on the floor and from beyond the arc, 53.6% from the floor, 39.4%. Both of those metrics in favor of Chet Holmgren. Uh, Victor Romanyama shooting just 46.8% from the floor, 31.9% from three. Effective field goal percentage, obviously, in favor of Holmgren. And the advanced stats are in favor of Chet Holmgren. Box plus minus a four to uh, just three point one for Victor Wembanyama and value over replacement player of two point four to just one point seven for Victor Wembanyama and for whatever it means, you know uh, Holmgren does have the head to head two to nothing, two and zero, but I don't really count that. Some might, but for those who are maybe thinking or wondering what it was, that's what it is. Thunder or two and zero against the San Antonio Spurs with those two on the floor. So it's a really fascinating dynamic because. I think that Victor Wimbanyama did not do enough at the beginning of the season and that Chad Holmgren had built up his lead for a reason. And we're going to get a big performance like this last night. And a lot of people in the market are going to react to that. But I do think that if you are somebody who has not bet into this market yet, there is value in coming back here and betting on Ched Holmgren last night was awesome. And I know it's easy to get wrapped up into what we watched and just being like, Nope, that's it. And, Wembanyama has a massive advantage that Chet Holmgren doesn't, and it's that voters want to give the award to Chet Hol- or me, to uh, Victor Wembanyama. They want to give it to him. It's a narrative award. Everybody has expected this from him. It is a tough hill to climb for Holmgren, but if you're talking about the statistics and using advanced metrics along with the counting statistics, the gap between these two is much more narrow than a minus 500 price would indicate on Victor Wembanyama. and Holmgren still has. A lot of people who believe, and I think rightfully so, that contributing to a team that could be number one in the Western Conference counts more than accruing stats on a um, minutes restriction, like clearly what is showing, you know, shaping up to be a minutes restriction on a team that is losing a bunch of games. And I just, I, I think that when you're looking at this from that perspective, right, this is not a price that should be minus five hundred for Victor Wembanyama. And I know I get it, like it's not fun to see a game like that and come back and go, bet the other way. But it really is. Like it's something that I think that we have to kind of really pump the brakes on. This minus 500 price is crazy, considering the fact that Holmgren is still, it's not like he's chopped liver. It's not like Wemba is running away in other different metrics. Wemanyama is playing very good basketball. And you know what? I mean, maybe if you want to make him the slight favorite, I think maybe that's a, that's a fair argument at this point right now. But if we're talking about the probability being over 80% That Wembenyama is going to win the award right now, February thirteenth. When these two statistically are very close to one another, I just don't think that you should be that. That should be the price. Now, obviously, I don't think anybody should be going laying uh, Wembenyama minus five hundred, right to to get the surefire victory. Because again, I don't think that price is accurate. But I think that if you're not, if you're just coming in, plopping down, and saying, "Hey, what should I bet? I don't have anything here." Chet Holmgren at four to one to me, by my count, has good value to win Rookie of the Year. And I will be adding it to my portfolio here because I do believe at four to one, that is a price definitely worth playing right now. And that's it. You know, miss me with Brandon Miller, Scoot Henderson, Jaime Haquez. It's between these two at this point right now. And that's about it. Now, I mentioned awards, plural. We saw a lot yesterday. And these were people who are influential in the basketball space. I don't think they necessarily have a vote. So. Keep that in mind for what it's worth. A lot of people thought yesterday, we saw a lot of, hey, Victor Wembanyama needs to be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. And, I, and you, if you've listened to this pod or in taken into any of my content over the long span, I always love this because it's like, all right, cool, we talked about him. What does that mean? Right? What does it mean to just like, he's got to be part of the conversation. Okay. He's part of the conversation. Can he realistically win it? So it piqued my interest. So I went through and I put together the defensive statistics of all of the defensive player of the year candidates. Now, these are all just statistics. I very much believe that when you're voting for defensive player of the year, statistics can be part of it, but your eye test has to be part of this as well. You've got to watch and see the defensive play. You've got to be able to evaluate the defensive play, and you can't just rely on statistics because... Statistics when it comes to defense and basketball can be misleading at times. So I went through and looked at a couple of these guys. Now, keep in mind the order for defensive player of the year. Rudy Gobert minus 800. Jarrett Allen is 12 to one. He's second. Chet Holmgren is 25 to one. Victor Wembenyama is 30 to one. Bam Adebayo is 30 to one. Derek White is 35. Anthony Davis is 50. And then you get into the long shots at triple digits. So for this exercise... I just used everybody at 30 to one or better. So that would be Bam Adebayo, Victor Wimanyama, Chet Holmgren, Jarrett Allen, and Rudy Gobert. Now, the statistics I used to kind of look through defensive rebounds per game, blocks, steals, defensive box plus minus, defensive efficiency differential, and team defensive rating. What's interesting to look at is Rudy Gobert, the minus 800 favorite, statistically only leads in one category. And that would be defensive rebounds per game. He's averaging nine. Second best is actually Bama to bio at 8.3. But Gobert's stat line defensively, nine defensive rebounds a game, 2.1 blocks per game, 0.6 steals, and a 1.8 defensive box plus minus. He improves Minnesota's defensive efficiency by five points every 100 possessions on the floor. Now, I think when you look at that, that last metric, it's kind of tough because again, it's much, you know, it is. It's on court, off court stuff, and there's some noise. And um depending on how good your backup is and how good the team is outside of you, right? That could be really different. So you could sit there and say, well, he doesn't have the same impact on his team defensively. Well, sure, but this is also the best defensive team in the NBA and he's improving their defensive rating by five points every 100 possessions when he's on the floor. That's really impressive if you ask me and when you look at that with some nuance. But outside of that, again, he's only average, he's only leading in one real defensive categories we're looking at right here. Again, defensive rebounds. Jared Allen, not leading in any single category. Uh, you know, seven defensive rebounds a game, 1.2 blocks per game, 0.8 steals, a defensive box plus minus a 1.6, and he improves the Cavaliers defensive rating by 2.6 points. Every 100 possessions on the floor, Cavs are up to second in non-garbage time defensive efficiency. And what really sticks out about all of these numbers, when you're looking at every single one of these candidates, is that Wemba Nyama, again, statistically, much like we're talking about here in the matchup with Holmgren, Wemba Nyama statistically dominates these defensive metrics. And I was surprised cuz I came into this thinking like, all right, let's put these stats together and and tell these nerds that they don't know what they're talking about. Defensive rebounds, 7.9 per game. That's third amongst these candidates that we're talking about here. But blocks per game, 3.2, leads the NBA, leads all categories, or leads all candidates. 1.1 steals per game, leads all candidates. A 2.2 defensive box plus minus, leads all candidates. And his team's defensive rating improves by 10.2 points every 100 possessions when he's on the floor, by far the best among these candidates. But his team ranks 23rd in defensive efficiency, right? So they're such a bad defensive team that when he's not on the floor, the bar is so low that when he's on, the grow, the improvement is going to be exponential. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. But his defensive metrics are, are very, very good. And when you watch his his defensive play is very, very good when he is out there. His ability to challenge shots from any spot on the floor almost uh, there was a great transition possession where he's trailing on the possession defensively. The Raptors are in the front court already. And still, by the time they get to the rim, when Banyama there to block a shot within four feet of the basket, you know, he is a very, very good defensive player. And it's going to be fascinating because what I learned looking at this in terms of just the metrics for these defensive players is twofold. one, Rudy Gobert, minus 800. I think he should be the odds-on favorite, but if you're looking at some of the statistics around it, I would say maybe you want to shorten that a little bit, but he deserves to be the odds-on favorite by a decent amount. Number two, you know who sneakily has a really good statistical profile defensively? Is Bam Adebayo. I actually didn't want to include him, and then I looked at his numbers and realized, it was like, oh yeah, we got to talk about Bam Adebayo. He's second amongst these candidates in defensive rebounds per game at 8.3. He is second among these candidates in steals per game. His defensive box plus minus at 1.4, which is the lowest amongst the candidates. And the Miami Heat, which are 11th in defensive efficiency, allow seven points fewer per 100 possessions with Bam Adebayo on the floor. So of these three categories, he's in the or excuse me, of these, what do we got? One, two, three, four, five. Of these five categories, he's in the top two of three of them. Adebayo's had a really good season. And I do think that maybe there's a little bit more life there at 30-1 to than, you know, that number would indicate. But what I count out of this was I don't think it's that crazy to start talking about Victor Wimbanyama as a finalist for Defensive Player of the Year. But again, it goes back to the thing that I always laugh at, which is, all right, cool, we've had the conversation. Now what? It's always also why I would be fascinated by a market of, like, over-under finish in Defensive Player of the Year voting or MVP voting. I've said it so many times but it would be such a cool little wrinkle to have in terms of award voting for some of these because especially when you get some of these massive favorites like Gobert at minus 800 and there are many who think that Gobert is going to win this and probably will considering how good he's been for the best defensive team in the NBA but you know when you get massive favorites like this it takes away the the, the fun of some of these awards markets and having an over under place of finish on the ballot would be awesome would be awesome because you could probably find a pretty decent like value on Bam Adebayo to finish in the top two or three because Adebayo has been statistically a very, very good defender. Very good. So I just wanted to go over those. So I think the recap here, if you're just kind of listening, as I blow eight here on my own, it would be number one, I think there's value in Chet Holmgren to win rookie of the year. I don't think despite the fact that when Nyama really showed out last night, I don't think there's that gap between him and Holmgren to win that award. The second takeaway, the conversation around Victor Wembanyama being a finalist for defensive player of the year. I get it, but it actually attracted me more to Bam Adebayo bio to win defensive player of the year than it did for Victor Wembanyama. But it's going to be pretty fascinating because the dynamic of him statistically being a dominant defensive player, but playing on one of the worst defenses in the NBA and how voters parse those two things is going to be really, really interesting to see how it goes. All right, before we get to our day, you know what? Let's take our break here. I had to pause for a second to think about it. Let's take our break here. On the other side, Tim Bontemps released his second version of the MVP straw poll. And we have, because Joel Embiid is now out and officially uneligible, ineligible, uh, to win most valuable player. We've got some new faces in the race for most valuable player. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Stay free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
1: All right, so we got a new straw poll. Big day. It's like the, uh, what do I uh, The, um, you know, the meme of the guy waking up his wife in bed. It's like, wake up, babe. New Bontem straw poll today. I love it. So for those who don't know, Joel Embiid officially eliminated from contention for most valuable player because of games missed. So with that, the new straw poll drops today. And I don't think it's a surprise that Nikola Jokic, is the leader to win Most Valuable Player on Tuesday, February 13th. Now, there are some interesting takeaways here, though. So let's start with Jokic. Jokic got 69 of 100 first-place votes. He leads Shea Gilgis-Alexander by 180 points, according to these voters. He had 889 points. Shea Gilgis-Alexander had 709. Shea surpassed Giannis Antetokounmpo from the last poll. Shea was fourth, Giannis was third. Shea is now second, Giannis is now third. And he has 24 first place votes compared to just two for Giannis Antetokounmpo. 709 total points compared to 391 for Giannis. So right now, the way this looks is, it is Nikola Jokic, it is Shea Gilders alexander and then a pretty solid gap between those two, and then your next field of contenders, we'll call them. Giannis Antetokounmpo, who came in at third, with 391 votes, or excuse me, points. Luka Doncic, who came in fourth and actually got one more first-place vote than um, than Giannis did, with 260 total points. And coming in fifth, after not being ranked in the first draw poll, Kawhi Leonard, 175 total points. He had three second-place votes, didn't get any first-place votes. Uh, 17, third, 16 in fourth, and then 21 in fifth. Now, I think that's kind of a big one in that despite being unranked in the first poll, Leonard has not only appeared, he has leapt up to fifth. He has surpassed Jason Tatum in terms of these straw poll voters and is less than 100 points behind one Luka Doncic. So I I think that there's there's a pretty fascinating dynamic happening here. And as of now, let me double check because I was checking on this earlier today and we didn't really see any big updates. So... My screenshot here my rundown is about uh, two hours old or so. Let's see if there's been any changes so far. Uh, no. All right. Let's talk about this. So, as of now, the odds to win most valuable player post straw poll Nikola Jokic at minus 150, Shea Gilders Alexander at plus 280, Giannis Antetokounmpo at 7 to 1, Luka Doncic at 10 to 1, Kawhi Leonard at 30 to 1, Jalen Brunson at 55 to 1, who did appear in this straw poll as well. But much like the way the Western Conference is kind of shaken out, We're starting to see this shake out as well, where you have the tier of Nikola Jokic, Shea Gildas Alexander, then a gap, then the tier of Giannis, Luka, and Kawhi, then a gap, then you have Jason Tatum kind of by himself with 98 points, then another gap, then Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell, two of the uh, three new faces in this thing, showing up with 30 and 24 points, respectively. Shockingly enough, Jalen Brunson got a first place vote. Wonder where that guy or gal is from. So when you look at it from that perspective, it's surprising to see the market not really respond in two instances. Like Kelly was texting with us earlier, Kelly Binley, who you know very well. He thought that Shea would, or excuse me, Nikola Jokic would get to like over minus two dollars. I don't think that's the case. I think minus 150 at this point of the season is really solid, especially with so much left to play. I'm surprised that Doncic and Giannis onto the Kumpo are not together in terms of their odds to win this thing. Considering that in the straw poll Doncic has closed the gap considerably on Giannis Antetokounmpo and got more first place votes. Again, it's only one, but still got more first place votes. The gap between these two is not as wide as, you know, 391 to 260 would um would think, right? Because if Luka garners, let's say, those two first place votes from Giannis and takes a few of those seconds, he's going to pass it. So it's going to be pretty fascinating to see because I don't think this gap between Giannis and Luka is as big as the market would indicate to get 10 to one on Luka Doncic to potentially still win this award is pretty fascinating. And I don't think that while Jokic is currently leading by straw poll indications, I do think a lot of people as Femi of FFA told us in a group text might, might've just for this straw poll, just gone. All right, let's just vote Jokic right now. Like, let's just give it to Jokic right now. He's clearly the second best player. Or he's clearly the best player playing right now. He's active but we'll let these guys play more and shake things out. But I think there's some upward mobility for all of these guys, not just a Kawhi Leonard, you know, somebody who voted for Kawhi or some who has a ticket for Kawhi Leonard at 150-1 to 1 to win MVP. It's not just that. I, I think that there's upward mobility for everybody from Kawhi Leonard on to potentially win this award. I mean, you look at Kawhi himself. He's the best player on the team that could win the one seed in the Western Conference. Now, took a bad loss to Minnesota yesterday. They're now 0-2 against Minnesota this season. So you got to start winning those games against the teams you're going to be competing with for that top seed. But I would very much say that there is some real upward mobility for a lot of these guys to win the most valuable player. But pretty interesting. Nonetheless, I do think it's pretty um, I think it's dumb, quite frankly, to look at some of the guys like Jalen Brunson. He's been very good. He is not a first place vote getter. And yet he garnered a first place vote. Anthony Edwards garnered a first place vote. Stop. Okay. Those two guys have been awesome. They have not had seasons that have been on par with Nikola Jokic, Shea Yildiz, Alexander. I mean, even Kawhi Leonard, Janice Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic. Like, that's ridiculous that you would give first place votes to those guys. But whatever, they're probably people who cover them. And that's exactly what we see all the time. Some other guys that got some votes. Um, DeMontis Abotis did appear in the poll. He got a fifth place vote. That's it. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton got a fifth place vote. That was it. He's definitely taken a hit. He's gone from seventh in the first straw poll all the way down to tied for 11th with DeMontis Sabonis. So an interesting look at the draw poll. I don't think there's a ton to take away from it. Other than the fact that I do think Doncic at 10 to one might be worth it if he plays enough because he's statistically going to have the numbers that could go up against Jokic and Shea and Giannis. And of course, uh, numbers that would be better on its surface than Kawhi Leonard Leonard's case, of course, has some nuance to it because he plays um, he's the team's best defender, but, We'll get to that bridge when we have to cross it a little bit later in the year. But upper mobility for anybody who uh, was with us on Kawhi Leonard at 150 to 1. Good start on this straw poll. If he had been ninth or 10th, then I think you're in a tough spot. But the fact that he's appearing at 5th and getting some second-place votes is a good sign. And it's a it's a good sign for this race because I do think that despite the fact that 69 of the 100 first-place votes were Neil Jokic, this thing can change on a dime, especially if these guys play pretty well as we head into the all-star break. So very excited to see this. All right, that was quick. We'll take our last break. We'll come back. We'll get to the card that is in the association. Just got a just got a single bet on a day that's pretty short with a lot of injury notes. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. Only bet on the card for me today is the first game on the rotations. Let's talk about it. Oklahoma City Thunder taking on the Orlando Magic. Overnight opener of three with a total of 229.5. We've seen this get bet all the way down total-wise to 223. Thunder are laying three here in this spot. Uh, Bet for me today is on the Orlando Magic. At home against the Oklahoma City Thunder, a good scheduling spot for the Orlando Magic. So we're getting to the point now, of course, that teams are going to be playing their last games before the break. Uh, Oklahoma City, that would be for them. This is their last game before the All-Star break, and Thunder have not been playing particularly well by their standards. So maybe a little bit of fatigue for a young team that's been playing some pretty hard and good basketball. But they come into this thing 4-4 and straight up, 2-6 and against the spread in their last eight games. It's the final thing before the break and their third game in four nights. So not a good scheduling spot for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And on the other end, you get Orlando. They're coming in with two days of rest. They've been home for the last seven days. So they've been getting practice time in, well-rested, sleeping in their own beds. um, So they get a massive rest advantage here. And they're just playing good basketball. Six and two straight up, 7-1 against the spread in their last eight games. Don't think they're going to fall into the trap of letting down before the break because they do have one more game left to play. That would be tomorrow. And the market seems to agree with me too, because we saw this minus three again. Not a big, not a big move. It got down to as low as two in most spots. And the Magic are a really good defensive team at home. Uh, they are third best in non-garbage time defensive rating at home, one hundred and ten point eight points per one hundred possessions. They're also really healthy. There's not a single player on this injury report for the Orlando Magic today. It, it's it's really hard to pass up on a team that's been playing this well, has such a rest advantage, and is healthy. So give me the Orlando Magic. Played them on the money line of plus plus one twenty. Uh, playable down to even money for me. You're not going to have to worry about that. That thing's going to stay at about plus 120 all day long. So give me the magic as a home underdog to win outright today against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, as a matter of two, they, they added some pieces, like Gordon Hayward, Bezmack, Bionba, all these, but they're not available for them yet. So they might be available post-All-Star break, but right now uh, it's about taking advantage of this and taking advantage of the spot and asking Orlando to win a game at home outright. All right. Next up, Boston Celtics at the Brooklyn Nets. We saw this up to nine, and we saw this open nine and a half. The total two thirty one and a half. We are down to eight and a half at most spots with a total of two twenty eight across the board. Even some two twenty seven and a halfs starting to appear here. Boston coming in on a day of rest. It's the front end of a back to back, and it's a back to back with this Brooklyn Nets team. Uh, they will play here in Brooklyn, and finish up before the All Star break tomorrow in Boston. Boston is on a little interesting run here. They're just at the peak of their market ratings, and that's not surprising considering how much the market respects the Celtics, but 9-3 straight up in their last 12 games, but 3-9 and nine against the spread in those 12, 1-7 against the spread in their last eight. And while Brooklyn comes in on two days of rest compared to the one for Boston, and they want to cover on Saturday against San Antonio, it's not a team that I particularly trust. Uh, haven't covered consecutive games since December 6th and 8th, uh, this is how bad that Brooklyn has really been over the course of, of this season. It's been very inconsistent defensively, has been very inconsistent, floating around eighth. If the Celtics so choose, they can come in here and win by margin. Uh, however, as we mentioned, recent form has not really been that great for the Boston Celtics. And when it comes to um, playing on the road, hasn't really been the best. 16-9 and straight up, but 10-13-2 against the spread for the Boston Celtics away from home. Hard to really dive in and play a massive number here with the Celtics, considering that the market is a little too high on its power rating. So easy scratch off for me. Kristoff's Porzingis is listed as questionable as well. So if you want to get involved here, just make sure that you know that Porzingis is going to play for them uh, because he's got this lower back contusion that he's dealing with. And remember, Xavier Tillman, one of the new additions for Boston, not playing either. So Porzingis is obviously the big one, but make sure you get that in check before uh, you start to play that side. Next up on the rotation, Miami Heat, Milwaukee Bucks. Bucks now, eight-point favorite, total of 222.5. That's open, 7.5, and a half of the total of 228. So again, another game getting bet down. No injury report yet from Milwaukee. Very dominant performance last night against the um, Denver Nuggets. Nuggets kind of quietly um, putting together some pretty awful performances before the break. Maybe it's just All-Star. Hey, we can see the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe it's something else. But against uh, a lesser defensive team like Milwaukee, Putting up just 0.964 points per possession, the Nuggets did in that matchup last night against the Bucs. So solid win for Milwaukee uh, that comes in here. But still, you know, as we talked about yesterday, a Bucks team that has been wildly inconsistent all season long. Uh, as I kind of went on my like uh, my rant yesterday with Kelly. That was the first time that the Bucs have covered consecutive games since December 27th and 29th. So This is what you've been getting, but it's a big number for a reason here for Milwaukee, despite the second leg of a back-to-back. By the way, we should. We'll have to check the injury report, too. want to make sure that you get everybody, so hard to really dive in. And it's hard to dive in on the other side considering the injuries here, right? Terry Rozier with his knee sprain. He's out. Josh Richardson just came down. He's got a right shoulder dislocation. He's out. Duncan Robinson is questionable to play uh, with a left shoulder-slash-elbow sprain. Jimmy Butler with the unfortunate passing of somebody in his family, so he is out right now. It's a, it's a game that's got a lot of noise around it. And frankly, there's a lot of noise around all of these teams right now. And I think it's easy to kind of scratch this one off and, uh, and leave it for more clarity down the road, especially when it comes to the Bucks injury report. But right now, market's kind of steady. Open 8.5, total of 220, oh, excuse me, 228. Only real move is to the under at 222.5. No real move on the side as of right now. Next up, here's where uh, Kelly's got something here. Phoenix Suns opened up four with a total of 242. Uh, they're now four and a half or five, and those four and a half are juiced to the favorite side with a total of 244 and a half. Hard not to look at Phoenix today. In fact, Phoenix was one of my really strong looks here too, considering how well uh, that these teams have played. But uh, um, last time out for the Phoenix Suns, looked like they were maybe in line to potentially beat Golden State, but Steph Curry takes them down on his own. That was uh, Saturday night, 113-112 to 112 loss at Golden State. Now you come back home to take on Sacramento, not your last game before the all-star break. They've got one more at home against Detroit before getting a couple of days off. So that's kind of big. Again, I kind of like to focus on playing maybe against some of these teams that have that break on the horizon because it's kind of easy to let down a little bit here. But outside of just that, I think this is just a play on how well the Phoenix Suns have been playing. I I think we kind of talked of, we've talked a little bit about this team, for a really long time here on this podcast about we were just waiting for the continuity to kind of show up and it's starting to show up in a really big way. It's a team that is now of course, healthy and finally getting its guys on the floor and the returns for them have been absolutely brilliant since December 27th, the Phoenix suns 17 and seven straight up plus 9.2 net rating. They're averaging 124.5 points per 100 possessions on offense and non-garbage time and the best part a top 10 defense yeah 115.3 points per 100 possessions allowed over that same span that has been very very good uh, for this team defensively and for Sacramento we kind of know who they are like their defense has been inconsistent all season long they come into this game right now 21st in non-garbage time defensive efficiency Oklahoma City lit them up for a 128.3 defensive rating it was the third time in four games that an opponent has had an offensive rating of 128 or better against Sacramento. So this has been, I think, a stretch now. When Sacramento comes in, they've lost three out of four games where it's going to be back Phoenix or nothing, Uh, just given the fact that this team is playing as well as they are. And given the fact that you're talking about an opener of about four, right? So that would say, "Eh, these these two teams probably about like a point and a half better. The Suns aren't a neutral. I would think the gap is greater. Now that we're up to five, that would give you about where I'm at here a little bit. I actually made it just just about five and a half. So, not a really strong edge for me here. Thus, I'm not going to play it. But if you wanted to grab a minus four, if that pops back up, wouldn't say no to it at all. All right, Minnesota Timberwolves, Portland Trailblazers. Blazers. Uh, this opened up eight and a half, two fifteen. No, excuse me, nine with a total of two seventeen and a half. Now we're at eight and a half with a total of two thirteen and a half. Second leg of the back-to-back for Minnesota. So not a surprise here. Um, given the fact that, you know, the market just likes to charge these second leg of back-to-back teams like a half point to a point, just because you don't know exactly what is going to happen with them. Very, very big and emotional win for them against uh, L.A. last night, but it was kind of a beatdown in the third quarter, so not a high, strenuous sort of affair at the end of that game. Portland has been playing good basketball for the most part. Last two games, they have dropped both straight up and against the spread, part of a four-game losing streak for them. However, the first two games of this losing streak, both in Denver, they covered both of them. Part of a stretch where they went, um, excuse me, uh, let's see, uh, six and two, excuse me against the spread. And in fact, they actually went eight and three ATS in the previous eleven games before dropping their last two. So Portland's been playing pretty good. Uh this is the uh for, this is their second to last game. They do have one more. It's part of a two-game homestand with Minnesota here in Portland. So maybe coming in here on two days of rest, you're gonna be able to catch Minnesota on the second leg of a back-to-back stay inside of a big number and then come back and probably face plant right before the all-star break. But can understand why the market tepidly moved here toward the Portland Trailblazers. And last but not least Detroit Pistons opened up as 12-point underdogs on the road against Los Angeles Lakers. We're down to 10.5 with a total of 242. Total opened up 237. Injury report here, very big, of course. We want to keep our eye on this. Uh, We should also note, too, I didn't note this for Portland. Uh, Scoot Henderson's questionable uh, to play here in this game. Anthony Simons is on the injury report, but he is probable. And uh, Malcolm Brogdon dealing with that elbow tendinitis is out. So I want to clarify that. Uh, But for Detroit and L.A., same stuff here, man. Uh, you have Anthony Davis and LeBron James, both listed as questionable to play. You're going to get that on a night-to-night basis here with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think the market's getting this right and pushing this back down. I get that the uh, the Lakers have won through, uh, four out of the last five games. Um, looking pretty good. Uh, Boston, New York, Charlotte, all part of that little road trip that they were on. Came back home, lost to Denver, but uh, took out New Orleans on Friday and a massive rest advantage here. Haven't played since Friday, so... The rest advantage is big for L.A. I would not expect that either LeBron James or Anthony Davis misses this game against Detroit, considering they have had that much rest. Having said that, this is the front end of a back-to-back. Their last game is in Utah tomorrow. So that is a very big game for the Los Angeles Lakers in terms of the Western Conference standings and getting inside of the play-in. There is a small chance that you see some rest from both Anthony Davis and LeBron James so that they can get ready to go for the Utah jazz tomorrow, but no play there. So the short card, nothing crazy for me with that. uh, Let's make sure that we best bet recap magic money line plus plus one twenty for me. Kelly's on the Phoenix suns and boom, that's it. We'll get you out of here. Simple and sweet. Uh, Please like rate review and subscribe. I'll be back tomorrow. I think Kelly will be back tomorrow, but I'm not entirely sure, but for sure you'll hear from me as we get closer and closer to the all-star break and uh, tomorrow too. I believe, let's double check here. I want to see this. Yeah, we got big card on Wednesday. So generally you see that right before the break, before a short card on the last day with only three games. But uh, please, like, rate, review, subscribe. Appreciate it as always. And we will talk to you tomorrow here on Hardwood Handicap.